Welcome back to another episode of My Neighbors Are Dead. I'm your host, Adam Peacock, and we're all familiar with the big names in horror. Freddy, Jason, Leland, Gaunt. But who we're not familiar with are the ones just outside the tear, the ones who didn't get to tell their tales. I bought the Death of Superman packaged edition from the Gibraltar Trade Center when I was a kid, thinking that I had come into the mother load, that it was going to be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I also had the first issue with Spawn, and that ain't worth shit because they made two billion of them. The point is, is that a lot of the things I thought of as a kid that were going to be collectibles and worth a lot of money turned out to not be worth jack. I paid 40 bucks for a Boba Fett figure because it had a half circle on its hand. I'm kind of stupid, but none of those things ever really gave me the experience or the joy that the thought of buying them was giving me. It was more exciting to get it, to track it down. And then once I had it, it didn't really seem all that important. And maybe some things like that don't exist. Maybe there are some collectibles that just aren't meant to take you there, but maybe some of them do to places you didn't expect. And I had to go all the way to a garage and talk to an Etsy store owner about just that experience. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of My Neighbors Are Dead. I'm your host, Adam Peacock, coming to you this week from a place that I have been the most comfortable that I've been in a long time. I'm in a garage. I love being in a garage. It's the best. And I'm in one particular garage. This is not just a garage. It's sort of kind of doubles as a warehouse uh, storage facility for my guest, Pierce Motley. Pierce, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been lovely making your acquaintance and showing you around some of my treasures. I am so impressed with just this whole setup and your, yeah, you're, well, you're an Etsy store owner, correct? Is that, a, is that the layman's terms? I suppose so. I mean, you flatter me to say I'm an owner. I'm, I'm, I'm more of a curator and a collator. Uh, so much of an Etsy store uh, um, manager's job is just, I'm, I'm, I'm just on the email most of the time and, and managing the store itself and, and don't get as much time as I'd like to actually appraise and, and go over the various treasures that come into my co- in and out of my collection. A lot of my time is spent photographing uh, the treasures and um, uh, trying to get every angle, writing a picturesque description to entice the uh, the potential buyer, and uh, and if if I'm lucky, they move out the door, and um, and I can keep a, a good cycle going. Uh, I, I I have to confess to you that um the online business life is not does not come first nature to me. I, I would sure. much I, I I used to run a brick and mortar antique shop, but uh, sadly. Uh, the days of 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 the small business owner are uh, seem to be declining, yeah. and uh, and so I, I have I've retreated to the online space. But um, I, I do a rather robust business, uh, and um, I appreciate everyone who purchases treasures from me. Yeah, you really see a lot of that brick and mortar thing going the going the way of the dodo with bookstores and you know mom and pop retail stores too. So I guess the yes, internet that's would be true. The, yeah, the the copper kettle antique shop uh, that I used to run. Uh, is now a uh, a WeWork, and I understand that WeWork uh, may perhaps folded itself, but uh, one is is clinging with its fingernails uh, for dear life in the in the former uh, home of my antique shop. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that WeWork thing didn't seem to go very well, and that's got to be a definite bummer to lose your place to something that lasted what seems like for a cup of coffee. 
Yeah, there, 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 there's a very fun mural that's been painted on the side of it, though. That's I, fun. Yeah. Some When an old business uh, goes away and gets, I think the word is gentrified, uh, th- at least you get a fun mural. Well, let's walk around or not. We don't have to walk around. We can do it from where we're sitting, but let's, uh, let's take, you know, just some of these treasures, you keep calling them treasures. And I think that's, I think that's neat because you really seem to have a passion for, for the objects that you sell and, and the business that you're in. So just looking around here, I think most people think of an Etsy store as cross stitch blankets or Afghans, you know, anything homemade for fun or whatever. But this, this feels authentically real. Oh, don't get me wrong. I have a lot of caftans and decorative throws among my treasures, um, but it's it's a wide array of items, um, as long as they are of a certain age, mm-hmm. a certain uh, picturesque value, and, and have a unique uh, je ne sais quoi about them, uh, then, then I feel... Um, I feel ethical uh, uh, pricing them to a certain price point and moving them on uh, uh, the Etsy backslash copper kettle dot com. Well, you've been kind of the talk of the town in terms of Etsy store. The, the, The sites are talking about the guy who has sold several times the lament configuration. Oh, yes. The lament configuration has come through uh, my door, my garage door many times in and out. Uh, this is this is something that um, among antiquarians is sort of a uh, closely guarded secret is that sometimes mm-hmm. an object that you sell um, winds up in an estate sale a few years later and comes right back through the door like a bad penny. And uh, this dang thing just cannot stay housed. I have uh, I have sold this um, unique uh, lacquered puzzle box many times to um, uh, a diverse array of um, antiquarians, lovers of object dart, um, perverts, and explorers in the further reaches of experience. So, you know, when something like that comes back into your into your rotation, there it seems to be happening a number of times. Do you develop any sort of connection to a certain piece or to an object that maybe you don't want to sell it again? Maybe it's something you want to hold on to for yourself. I think anyone who works in this business would be lying if they said they don't feel a special connection to everything that comes through their door. And yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't feel of clean conscience if I didn't love everything that I sell, but that comes with a flip side. Um there there is a might I say a devil's bargain in every one of these items where you you don't want to part with it, but you know you must. Yeah. I, that's tough. You know, I I recently got back into collecting baseball cards and I feel kind of the same way where I should get rid of my old ones because they're just taking up space and they're not really worth anything, but I do have that attachment to them. Right. And it's hard to convey what that attachment is. Everything, all of these treasures are charged, not only with the power of their age, but with the power of the love that's been lavished on them over time by their previous owners. Uh, Every little scuff mark, every little whorl of wood grain uh, tells a story, Uh, whether it's the, the, the crease on the baseball card that you just mentioned or the or the slight hinge on the side of a box that can send you reeling into madness into a parallel hell dimension where your soul will be ripped apart for eternity by um, uh, sexually voracious Cenobite demons. I think it's the same thing. Yeah. I th- yeah. And I, I mean, I know people have their other, their other hobbies and their other collectibles that they do, but that's just how I, how I kind of relate to what you're saying. Oh, certainly. I think, I think many of us start as hobbyists, but, but in this economy, your hobby often becomes your job. I mean, you know, God, but, yeah. Lo- 
love what you do and you never work a day in your life. That's what I say. And that is honestly what I've heard the Cenobites say as well. Well, let's talk about the beginning then, because you mentioned getting into this a profession such as this, you often start out as a collector yourself, as a hobbyist. What was your what was your foray into these particular types of treasures and what what's stuck out to you? What really hit home with you? I I love beautiful and uncanny things. I I appreciate a fine mahogany chair, a a delicately crafted Chippendale bookcase, or um, something that exists um, in our world and in a liminal space that can drag you screaming into the um, voided gulfs that exist between the stars. And I think every antiquarian has these sorts of drives to some extent or another, and and I I bring together these items in my collection. I of course did solve the the puzzle box in question when I first when I first uh, got it. You you really have to get to know all of the items that come into sure. your collection in order that they can be properly appraised. Um, but of course, because I solved it for um, economic purposes merely, but not not with the purpose of. Um, exploring the gossamer thin boundary in sensation where pleasure becomes pain. Uh, the, the hell priests that, that gathered to me at that time when I was appraising the box, I'm, I'm speaking of course of, uh, um, the, the gentleman colloquially known as pinhead, uh, the, the chatterbox, uh, the butterball and the lady one, um, yeah. that they, that all of them, uh, respected my acumen as a, as an antiquarian, when they saw me there looking over the puzzle box with my little jeweler's loop, and and we conversed well into the night. Uh, well, I say night, for uh, time has no meaning when you dwell with uh, the the far explorers of the great deeps beneath the voids of um, perception. Uh, so, so to speak, we came to an understanding. My soul was not rent asunder, and I was able to uh, pass the box into the hands of a more uh, worthy purchaser. Wow. Appear, you talk about it with such the way you describe these things. It almost it, you're not just selling an object; you're selling you're selling somebody the chance to explore a part of them that maybe they didn't even know was there. You know, and I, I think about my life and some things that I'd like to try. Like I don't know skydiving, for example. I don't know if I have the the stomach to do that, but that does seem like a gut check moment. What kind of person are you? And I think what you're doing is great because it takes that and amps it up to eleven. I don't sell. I don't sell antiques. My friends, my friends say, "Hey, how's the antique business going?" And I say, "I don't sell antiques. I sell moments. Okay, I sell experiences. Um, because because an antique is just an object, but but the feeling evoked by an object, uh, you can't you can't put a price tag on that. Whether whether it's a, a preciously manufactured uh, fountain pen." That with a with a perfect ink flow, uh, whether whether it's a pewter chalice that was um, yeah. made uh, made in Salem, Massachusetts, uh, by by our forefathers, Wh- whether it's a golden candlestick uh, with a beautiful uh, whirling uh, made in Spain, or whether it's a uh, portal that causes uh, chains to rip out of the fabric of reality and pull your flesh apart, leaving only your sexual organs intact for the delectation of uh, the um, faceless creatures of the dark abyss. All of these are moments that, um, that I like to be the broker for. Uh, can I ask you something that's a, maybe a bit of an inside scoop? You know, cause I think sometimes- Yeah, let's go deep. Let's go deep. Yeah. If I let's, I'll stick with the baseball card thing. Say I'm at the baseball mm. card store and there's a card that I really want and it's say it's a thousand dollars. 
I sometimes the guy who runs the store will tell me, "Hey, I know you don't have that much money. You you're not ready for this." And that's a smart move, you know. Usually he's right. When you're brokering any of these deals, do you feel that any of your clientele maybe isn't ready to explore the you know, like the deep cavities of space, time and the soul? <sighs> Is anyone ever really ready? Um you you know we we come here seeking experiences to 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 take your your baseball card analogy. How could you explain to someone who does not have the same attachment to baseball cards why this could possibly be worth one thousand dollars to you? It would be very difficult, but yeah. you, you would bring with it a story. There's mm-hmm. a deep deep connection there, and I think yes, you're you're never quite ready though to take that plunge. But I but whenever when I see people. When I see people uh, it, when, in the rare moments that I have face-to-face interactions, because most of my interactions with customers are, of course, over email, sure, uh, yeah. in the comments section, and I, I've, I've had, I have some wonderful five-star reviews and a few one-star reviews, five stars. I, the table was beautiful, just like one that my grandmother owned. Um, it's a keepsake that my family will treasure for generations. One star. Uh, the box that you gave me annihilated my very soul and- Though I experience sexual delights beyond the ken of mortal man, uh, my soul hung in the balance and was uh, blown to atoms. Okay, mea culpa. Uh, caveat emptor. Yeah. If <laughs> buyer beware. If I may. If I may lean on my meager Latin. But uh, y- you're never quite ready. And I just and it's I would be lax in my job as a salesperson if I didn't encourage you to take the plunge. I say go for it. Yeah, that's great. And also, Pierce, I'm going to tell you, it makes me angry when people give those one-star reviews on Yelp because other people are going to read that and that's really going to affect your business. So they're not just giving you the what for, they're really kind of throwing salt in the in the in your game of recruiting new clientele. So many, I have so many satisfied customers and I would have a five-star reviews across the board if it weren't for bloody homunculuses that have been brought back to life with the blood of the living dripping where their souls were ripped apart, uh, slowly um, gathering flesh onto their corpse um, on a mission of uh, vengeance, let's say. You think that a lot of times what they're trying to do is clamber back to some semblance of life to continue in the uh, dumb show of sensation that is this veil of tears we call life. But in actuality, many times their first priority is getting on the computer and giving me your your humble antiquarian a one-star review. I think the screens have taken up too much of our time and our energy. I think so. Too much screen time. And you you can lose yourself on a screen, but I like to say with an antique, you you learn something about yourself. Yeah. You lose time on the screen, you gain a lifetime with a, with a treasure. Yeah, those experiences, they're, they're definitely, they're worth their weight. You know, some of my friends who have kids, they, they try to limit their kids' screen time. And I guess that brings mm-hmm. me to my next question because, mm-hmm. Pierce, again, you talk about it with such passion and I can really tell you care about what you do. Where does that leave room in your life for any personal time? I mean, is this pretty much your whole day or, or what does Pierce Motley get to do for Pierce Motley? I. I am a bachelor. Um, I, I I don't know if as you walked through the house to uh, make come out here to the garage. If you noticed, I live a very Spartan life. Um, my my work takes up a great deal of time, uh, cataloging and caring for my treasures, uh, acquiring them and selling them. 
So I have to confess, it, it does not leave a lot of time. So the times I get for me time are precious and brief, which means that I want them to be as extreme <laughs> as possible. When I'm done with a hard day laboring on the computer with this screen that I've just <laughs> that I've just spent so much time bad mouthing, but is yeah. is of course the cornerstone of my livelihood. Sure, sure. Uh, when I'm done with a long day of moving product, sometimes you just have to unwind for the few precious moments that you have. Pour a glass of wine, open up an antique puzzle box, and uh, dance upon the line that separates life, death, um, sybaritic temptation. And uh, and horrific uh, genital torture. Well, Pierce, that sounds we're lovely. The we're the same. We're the same. I think so. I mean, you know, I actually, I think I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I think you're a little better because I do get some of that with baseball cards, but not all of that. And I think there's some reaches mm -hmm. of myself that are a little too far that I have not yet explored. Well, if there are reaches that you wish to explore, come no further than the copper kettle at Etsy.com. Well, Pierce Motley, I'm definitely going to take a look around here and I'll, I'll be sure to put an order in by the end of the week. But thank you so much. People check out the Copper Kettle and Pierce Motley's got a treasure and experience for you. Yes, indeed. Uh, please feel free to hit me up on my Etsy store. Um, I, I do have a, a, a Wix webpage, but it just redirects to the Etsy store and um, hit me up. Come to the Copper right. Kettle where our motto is, what's your pleasure? Pierce, thank you so much. I got to get out of here, though. I got to go talk to my buddy. He's a humorist and an occult scholar. You would absolutely love my pal, Ross. But Pierce Motley, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, neighbors. Adam here. Have you been enjoying My Neighbors Are Dead? Well, there are two quick and easy ways you can show your support that only take a second. First, leave us a rating and review in your podcast player of choice. That can be anything from talking about a recent episode to suggesting a film for a future guest. And two, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss future episodes. It helps you, it helps us, and it helps new folks find the podcast. Thanks, and now back to the show. I'm talking to my buddy, actor, comedian, hey. Ross Bryant. How are you, pal? I'm, I'm good, man. How are you? I'm good. That was all right. So why did why Hellraiser? We just did Hellraiser. Why did you do? Why did you pick that movie? I'm so glad you did. Oh man, uh, Hellraiser is one of my favorite horror movies. Um, I feel like it's it's kind of in there. If if there is a Mount Rushmore of of these sort of like horror monsters of this of the 80s and early 90s you got your freddies you got your jasons um but maybe maybe your chuckies uh, <laughs> perhaps your pumpkin heads um, but for me for me your boy pinhead is uh is front and center i just i just love that rascal um and i tell you what i really love about it uh is that Hellraiser works, I think, on I'm I'm a big fan of uh if you've if you've listened to the the, the podcast that preceded this, oldie timey things. The, uh, <laughs> the 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 a a tweedy antiquarian is not too far from like the the my who I am at the core of my being. And <laughs> and there's something in like gothic liter, like old school gothic literature and ghost stories of like those sorts of demons and monsters and vampires that 
that the heroes and heroines of those tales encounter have to be invited in. Yeah. It's in some, there's, there's this psychological dimension where, where these, where these people um, desire the, their undoing by these things. And that's the crux of, of Hellraiser that really makes it sing for me is that the, is that the, the Cenobites aren't just your run of the mill slasher Mm -hmm. um, ghoulies. They, they are there because you wanted them there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there is something. Yeah, it, it's one thing to be chased by a killer. It's another thing completely having <laughs> invited them in and got to know them a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I think his look cool, particularly Pinhead's look. I there's something about the the super slick like very form-fitting black outfit that sort of becomes a dress, but it's yes. not really a dress. I it's like I smock. Think, yeah, I think that's such a cool look. I, it's also like a cassock, like a priestly cassock. And I think yes, absolutely, yeah. His name in the in the script, I think, is just the Hell Priest. So he is he is this sort of like dark mirror of a of a um, earthly temporal priest. But another thing I love about Hellraiser is that like the Cenobites are barely in it. It's mostly the story yeah. of Julia, the woman who's trying to bring um, her deceased lover, Frank, the, the pleasure seeker who got the box initially yeah. know, back to, to, to re-insanguinate him and make him, <laughs> <laughs> make him fully flesh again. So that it's basically the story of a, someone who wants to fuck so bad that they're willing to yeah. leave a trail of corpses and, uh, <laughs> And, and rip their soul apart. Frank to, uh, must be an excellent lover. This is one of the main takeaways of, of Hellraiser is that Frank is a total, is, uh, is obviously a monster, the yes. monster truly oh, of yeah. the movie. But the, the man has pipe game par excellence. <laughs> I look, Charles Barkley said, I don't want to be anybody's role model. He was really good at basketball and kind of a prick. So I think it, you know, <laughs> God yeah. damn. That's love. That's love at a level none of us will ever know. Yeah, but Julia is such a compelling character of somebody who's so driven by desire mm-hmm. that uh that that she's willing to kind of lose her soul to bring back her lover. And uh yeah, it's it's a very cool unique story. And it's a story about adults. Even though the I think it's Nancy, the 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 young woman who kind of who figures out what's going on and is sort of the last person stand the final final girl if you will of the whole yes. thing. Like it's really a story about like adult frustrated desire mm-hmm. um which is which is rare for those movies which are usually about like teen libidinal energy yeah yeah i'm trying i'm looking this up. i can't find i think it is nancy god i gotta go back and rewatch this i watched it not that long ago what uh as a kid were you into this into this stuff at all i was terrified by this stuff really? i grew up really really sheltered like we we didn't have a tv in the house until i was 10 years old and oh, well. and even after the, so going a trip to the video store then was like a trip to this very magical place where yeah. all the 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 boxes represented these portals into into these other worlds and the section of the video store filled with the horror movies and especially at that time in the 80s and 90s those covers are so lurid and horrific and they're great g- grotesque they just set the youthful imagination on fire. I would be, I would be like, I would be so nervous. My heart would be pounding out of my chest, just like walking into that area yeah. and looking at the covers of those movies and just imagining how sick and twisted that they were. Um, 
I couldn't even begin to fathom it. So that like when I, the first time I actually watched an R rated movie, I was like, I was ready to run out of the room at any moment, just in case I would see something so disturbing, it would change me forever. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I yeah. think that's probably the same for a lot of kids where like when they finally do watch one of these movies, it's actually it's like disappointing in a way. Cause it's like, Oh, is that all it is? Yeah. Um, and I, and Hellraiser was one of those movies that maybe to some extent lives up to the promise of its, of its crazy cover just by being so not because it's, it's so, so scary, but because the queasy undercurrents of sexual energy that set it all in motion are, are so, are so disturbing. And, uh, and also, um, uh, I don't, I don't want to say like, it's not, it's not, it's not a tempting thing, but it's like, Mm. You're, you're playing with you're playing with very you're playing with fire in that movie. There's a lot there's a lot of uh, powerful yeah. energies being <laughs> being. Unleashed. I mean, I, there's a couple times when when Pinhead says pleasure in oh. that movie, <laughs> and just the way that he says pleasure and how it sounds, I think it invoked that those feelings that you're describing for me were like I don't this thing seems very exciting to me, but I don't know what it is, and I'm scared of it too. Right, it's just the idea that yeah that that um. That there is be- there is vistas of experience opening up yeah. beyond your your conventional experience of them, or is a very tantalizing yeah. and, and frightening thought. Yeah, the uh, world's bigger than Allen Park Junior High School. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's one of the reasons I like the movie Mandy so much. Uh, yeah, is that like Mandy seems to be a movie that is like basically used that experience of walk being a kid and walking into the VHS section of a horror. Um, the horror section of VHS rental shop as its mood board. It is the movie that like feels yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. I got that. You're, you're just, I, it's, I worked in two video stores and it was the best. And as a kid going up that section you're describing, I don't know if this is true or not, but it felt like it smelled different. Cause I knew, mm-hmm. like I knew it was coming up and I was, getting, I would be very scared and it felt like it smelled different and the movies <laughs> felt different for some reason. I don't know, but yeah, it's, it's all in my head of course, but that's so much fun to, to, to get to do. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love, I feel like, I mean, we live in the digital streaming era and now that physical media has this like totemic quality of for of nostalgia for us and i think for maybe younger folks who want to disconnect somewhat or have this object that's part of it yeah. is th- there is something that's like illicit about a horror movie um it's it's just a step above like a like a pornographic film almost. yeah for sure yeah. Some, if you got like one of those cases that was from that was from like hong kong or from the uk then it was basically indistinguishable. It would have like the warnings on it. It was basically indistinguishable from the the case of a of a stag film or something. So <laughs> right. part of the whole experience is going into that seedy part of the store that you maybe shouldn't be yeah. in with its with its particular atmosphere and its particular aroma and getting it and taking it home. Coming, yeah, working there, you come to find out. I think that aroma was just dirty carpet. And nobody dusted right, the yeah, shelves yeah. for a exactly. couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, the fantasy wears off very quick when you get a peek yes. behind the curtain. Right. <laughs> uh, well, dude, this was a ball, man. I are you watching anything fun right now, or have you seen anything lately that? Oh that man, you, I tell you, you really like? I got the. I, I watched a horror movie. Um, it feels like uh, oversimplification to call it a horror movie but a movie that I've been wanting to see forever 
called Possession last week. Yeah. It's um, set in uh, Cold War Germany. Sam Neill is in it. And Isabella Adjiani. Yep. Um, giving both of them giving like performances that are pitched to operatic levels of intensity. And it's, it's amazing. Um, the camera swoop is just swooping around in the most like disorienting, wild and crazy nausea inducing way. Am I really selling this thing? <laughs> Dude, no, it sounds great. I'm going through and looking at the, again, what we were talking about the cover, like the cover. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A, a very iconic cover that you will probably recall it, images of it will, will pop up in like social media, particularly a, a very unhinged breakdown that takes place in an underpass leading into maybe a, a train station. But this is another movie where, yeah. um, actually i didn't even think of, it, of this like you're getting a real snapshot into my like neuroses maybe that this is I another this, movie buddy. where repressed sexual energy bursts forth and takes on this like gross lovecraftian occult dimension i don't want to spoil anything about it except that it's about a relationship on the rocks and <laughs> it falls apart so but but noah bombach this ain't <laughs> Yeah. Oh, this isn't marriage story. No. <laughs> <laughs> Which I won't see because it seems like that's too sad. Yeah. Uh. Well, yeah, dude. I'm gonna. I'll. I'll give that a watch. Now that Allie's gone, I got. I got all this time to watch stuff for two weeks. I started watching the Chucky series. Oh, I've heard that's actually really good, dude. It's the kid. The main kid's great. I've only seen the pilot so far, but it's really fun and campy, and there's some great comedy moments in it that are uh, uh yeah i don't want to i don't want to spoil it i think if you're gonna watch it but there's a really funny yeah there's just some fun stuff in there that's great oh man the only the only other movie i a horror movie speaking of campy stuff is shutter has an has an awesome like collection of older stuff they 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 have a movie called phantom of the mall which yes. is like a, re a retelling of phantom of the opera set at um a, a mall that i'm pretty sure is just in the valley here in in LA, yeah. and just just for the pure time capsule of it, it is worth a watch. So many amazing uh, on location mall interiors. Uh, well, dude, yeah, let's uh, let's hang, buddy. This was great. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate it too. Thank you so much. That was so fun, Ross Bryant, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening to My Neighbors Are Dead. I'm your host, Adam Peacock. The show is produced by myself, Nate DeFort, and Ryan Countshouse, with editing done by Nate DeFort. Our original music was composed by Jesse Case, with additional music by Dane Halverson. Our artwork was done by James Mulholland. And as always, we want to give a very special thank you to our old pal, Mark Nashon. I want to thank my buddy Ross Bryant for coming by and playing Pierce Motley. If you want to know more about Ross and what he's up to, you can check him out as part of the Improvised Shakespeare Company. You can also catch him on Dropout.tv and as a part of the new Mystery Science Theater 3000. If you like the show and you want to support us, go to www.patreon.com slash dead, where you can find new weekly bonus content only available to our Patreon patrons. If you have yet to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, please take a second to do so now. It helps us grow and it helps new neighbors find the show. 
You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at My Neighbors Are Dead and on Twitter at My Dead Neighbors. Stop by, give us a follow, and share your favorite episodes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.